Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today, on episode 88, we welcome Abhishek Nayak. As co-founder and CEO of four startups, one of which was funded by Sequoia Capital, Abhishek is well-versed in the art of the startup. Abhishek and two co-founders created AppSmith to put customizable app tools directly into developers' hands. The once small open source project is now used by over a thousand teams, employs people in eight countries, and has raised over $10 million in capital. Abhishek, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Anthony. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you about data and how do we uh, become data leaders? Yeah, absolutely. And we're excited to have you. And you've got you've got a great story to, to share with the audience. So why don't you just give us, like we do with all our first-time guests, just get us started with, give us a little bit of a story overview of your career and how some of those earlier experiences have led up to what you're doing now. Uh, sounds great. So uh, I've been an entrepreneur since 2011. Uh, that's when I graduated from college. And I actually studied biological sciences, but my heart wasn't in the lab and I decided to go to a startup. Uh, and my first startup was very focused on uh, providing cash on delivery as a payment service. In India, till date, 50% of transactions that happen are actually paid for through cash. Uh, you get the wow, e-commerce product. Yeah. So uh, it's something that uh, surprises people, but uh, India is a country where still a lot of people aren't trusting of internet companies. So, uh, you know, they wanted to pay by cash. So that's the company that I started right out of college. And this was sort of mostly an offline business, but we had important elements like API so that we could provide a real-time status and application so that our uh, people who were collecting cash, they could update status, all of that. Uh, the most important thing in payments is to ensure that data is immutable. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's exactly what you say it is and uh, it's reflected all the time everywhere. Uh, so getting the reliability right was, I remember, a important challenge for us, uh, especially when you're working on mobile networks. So uh, that was an interesting challenge. So with that startup, uh, we ran that for two and a half years. Uh, we exited that startup by selling it to a larger player uh, who then uh, scaled it. And after that, I spent uh, about a year working at the startup that had acquired us. Uh, mm -hmm. And there I was heading product. Uh, this startup was again in the uh, business of payments and they were creating a mobile device that could accept payments anywhere uh, mm. to be used by restaurants, to be used at uh, petrol stations, gas stations or uh, retailers, etc. So there I headed product and uh, that was the first time where I actually started dealing with data from hardware, uh, These because every mm. device was a sort of like an IoT device and that again had data. Uh, the one thing that we had to deal with was uh, with that data, uh, transferring that over Bluetooth used to be really slow and painful. So we had to figure out how do we uh, optimize sending of that data and ensure we are getting everything we need, uh, but even though the uh, the bit rates were quite uh, low there. Uh, so that's the place that I worked. Uh, I worked there for a year, but uh, after that, I again wanted to do a startup. And then I did a startup which was called Bicycle AI. Uh, basically, I was focused on automating customer support conversations. Uh, this was in 2016 where uh, AI was just beginning to take off and me and my co-founder 
uh, had been looking at ML and AI for a little bit. Uh, my co-founder especially had spent a lot of time automating uh, voice conversations and trying to automatically generate voice as well as understand uh, anything that's said through voice. Uh, hmm. So he was very interested in automating customer support. Uh, so that's the place where we ended up dealing with a lot of data because uh, we were taking data from large consumer startups uh, in India and in the US and converting their conversations into a bot that could automatically try to reply or triage the uh, actual query that came in if they couldn't reply automatically. Uh, mm -hmm. In most cases, our reply accuracy rate was about uh, one out of four. Uh, so it was, you know, accurate 25% of the time uh, and, you know, wrong 75% uh, of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so we used that as a tool that was augmenting the support agent instead of replacing them completely. So the support agent would get all the suggested responses and they would then click and actually uh, send a, rep a reply to the customer. Uh, so this was, uh, you know, very focused on uh, ensuring we could solve that one problem really well. Uh, and for that, we just had to uh, collect as much data as possible of conversations, of uh, online English material so that, uh, you know, we could have an understanding of grammar uh, so that we could understand sentence structures and actually try to construct a reply in cases where there was no reply. Uh, now, with this startup, it took us a long time to get something that was uh, usable by customers, but it never got the job done that well. And uh, we would always have customers churning out because the accuracy was simply not there uh, with those conversations. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been uh, nearly four years since I worked on it, but even looking at the state today, I don't think it's possible to uh, automate all conversations uh, of those kinds. Uh, so we ended up uh, uh, stopping our work on that and actually decided to uh, just do a totally different startup. Uh, and uh, that was a gaming startup that I did right after that for a really short period. Uh, wasn't really data heavy, but uh, we had around 120,000 daily active users. Uh, playing games on the application. Uh, and at any point in time, we would have 40,000 uh, people active on the app. Uh, so that was a very high scale consumer app. And uh, there we didn't do much data analytics except for figuring out uh, why things were slow uh, or why certain uh, users were unable to reply in the right amount of time or play the game in the right amount of time because it was a real time game. Uh, so we spent a lot of time uh, there and uh, that was the startup where we actually dealt with problems around uh, uh, CRUD applications or internal admin panels that ended up becoming AppSmith. Uh, because at this game startup, uh, we ended up building a lot of interfaces to update and deal with customer data. Uh, so for example, customers would request us to uh, update their phone number or their address or their payment method and we had to do that automatically. Uh, on the backend. So mm -hmm. we needed a, rather we couldn't do that automatically on the backend. So we had to build interfaces to update that data in the database. We also built interfaces to uh, create levels in the game and modify levels in the game. Uh, that again, uh, you know, was like an internal app that we built. Uh, so this was the place where my co-founder Arpit, who has worked with me at all the startups uh, that I've spoken about, he started toying with the idea of building a UI builder that is that makes it really easy for a business user to 
run CRUD operations on any database, you know, create, read, update, delete operations. Uh, and these operations tend to form the core of any enterprise application. Uh, so uh, this was this startup was sort of the uh, genesis of that idea. Now, uh, even though Arpit had this idea right when we were doing this startup, uh, we still decided to not pursue this full time till we got uh, just better at understanding the problem. So both of us ended up working at different companies. Uh, I ended up joining Excel Partners in India as a entrepreneur in residence, and uh, Arpit joined another startup as a director of engineering. Uh, so that was sort of the precursor to the work that we did before starting AppSmith today. Got it. And so <clears throat> tell me a little bit more about AppSmith and, and what it actually entails. I have a couple questions in mind, but I want to give a, a little bit more background to folks before I start peppering the questions with you. Sounds good. Uh, so AppSmith is an open source framework that's used by developers to build all sorts of CRUD applications and internal admin panels and workflow tools uh, so that a company can run its business. A lot of these tools look like customer support dashboards where a customer support agent can go in and look up all the details of that particular customer. Uh, they should also be able to trigger maybe refunds or trigger uh, reshipping of a particular product if you're an e-commerce company. Uh, mm -hmm. Or you could have a sales dashboard where you're tracking customer data, you're trying to figure out uh, all the actions that a customer has taken uh, so that you can have an informed sales conversation with that customer. Or it could be an operations dashboard for a, uh, for a warehouse where mm -hmm. you're managing your inventory of the warehouse, you're tracking uh, all the vehicles that are coming in, all the shipments that are going out, uh, and all sorts of tools. So uh, AppSmith is a very flexible tool, but the common thing with everything that is built is it always talks to a database or an API and there's always a human who's running some sort of data operations. Uh, they're either viewing data or updating, uh, deleting or uh, creating new data. So that's the common thing. Interesting. So help, help me really understand this. So it, it's, it, it sounds to me a bit like a kind of WYSIWYG uh, editor for um, kind of web pages or what have you, but it sounds like it has a much more sophisticated data component underneath it to facilitate the actual model or the, um, like you said, the, the CRUD operations for um, interacting with that database more so than just focusing on the interface. Is that correct or am I missing something? Uh, that's right. The, the most important thing in an application like this is the source of data. Uh, uh -huh. So with AppSmith, you can connect it with uh, any API, GraphQL, REST APIs, or you can even connect it to Snowflake or Postgres, MongoDB, etc. And mm -hmm. you can run native queries on those uh, data stores. So you can run a native Mongo query uh, and query the MongoDB. Maybe you do not have uh, an API ready for it yet. Uh, the other thing that you can do in AppSmith is you can write JavaScript anywhere. So you can write all your data transformation logic in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore you can combine uh, two different data sources and display the transform data in a single table or a uh, or like a list or some other uh, means. Uh, so the fact that you can connect with any data store and you can transform the response that comes from it and then visualize it uh, in a UI, that's the bit that's very powerful. 
so I'm interested in the notion of being able to pull in data from multiple sources. It's it's really uh, kind of nice. I assume, are you doing the computation layer of that on the server side or the client side? Because I have to imagine that would be a pretty heavy lift on the client side, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, so today we do it mostly on the client side. It but is. Over okay. time, we are uh, we are working towards moving some of that computation onto the server side. Uh, so, that so there's a limit a to what? Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So, so for simple operations, if you're if you're looking at different records, like, hey, I want to, and for your use case, it makes sense because if I wanted to like self-administer my account information that's pulling from three internal systems, and we need to be able to provide that access layer to do that this could pull from those systems i don't really have a huge computational load because it's probably only pulling back single records maybe a handful of records or something um and so really the data io component is not going to be too much and then you're able to make the changes you need to and then propagate it back uh to the respective systems that you're updating appropriately is that correct yeah yeah that that's that's exactly right uh, so small workloads can be handled really easily in AppSmith. Uh, but mm -hmm. for larger workloads, it might make sense to have a some sort of an analytics API in between uh, so mm -hmm. that the computation is actually being done by that. Uh, but one of the things that we will be introducing in the future is uh, ability to do a lot of this compute on the server side. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's definitely on our, uh, on our roadmap. But as of today, uh, we are definitely focused on doing it on the client side. Okay. And so... The the question that I imagine is in other people's minds as well. So you're, you've created this as a open source framework. Is that as an appropriate or is it an open source application? Uh, so yeah, it's an open source framework. Framework. Okay. What's the business model there? Like, how do you create a business around an open source framework? And where do people that are interested in this? You know, how, how does your business exist? Because I think this is a common pattern. And I think we're often just forgetting that there are businesses behind this that need real resources to do what they do. How do you how do you provide that? And where does the customer actually pay for the value that they're getting from them? Uh, sure. Uh, so the idea with the open source project is to ensure that a uh, lot more people have access to the project, uh, because the best thing about open source is the code is all public and anybody can contribute back. So the more users you have, the better your product naturally gets, the better the project gets. And right. uh, the other thing about open source is that it works really well when your market is really large and you know there are lots of people who need this. Uh, because most open source projects only monetize anywhere from 1% to maybe like 5% of their uh, user base. Uh, and that's certainly going to be the case with AppSmith. Uh, but the 1% or 2% user base which ends up paying for an open source project, uh, they end up paying quite a bit because they tend to be large, mid to large companies who have a, a real budget and they need things which the average open source user doesn't need. Uh, so they need more things around data security, around developer environments, uh, and all sorts of customizations to the UI that uh, an average small company might not need that. So the open source project works really well for small to uh, you know, like early mid-sized companies, but mid to large companies require certain features which are provided as an additional uh, feature set on top of the open source project. Uh, so that's the way we monetize. And and for those of you out there listening that are maybe less technical, haven't contributed to open source projects or, or what have you directly, it's the the benefit there is is like Abhishek said, you know, it gives the ability to access 
pretty powerful tools to those small and, and early mid-sized businesses that can't afford the cash to, to buy a lot of enterprise-grade applications. And then as they grow bigger, they may get higher levels of that or have higher needs, which is, is certainly helpful. But the benefit to the company that's producing these is that they really increase the opportunities of, of the development of the application or, or, or of the framework is that there's a whole bunch of opportunities for people who need something that doesn't exist today to go and build it and then contribute it back and make the platform better, make the framework better and more comprehensively useful. So there's benefits on both sides um, that then leads to even more capable um, frameworks for those larger organizations that can actually demand in many cases to pay for it because they need that security or that comfort that comes with those service level agreements and that they have somebody to call or, or what have you because they're probably you know and when you're working in large organizations you may not have the internal staff always to be experts in every tool that you have you may have a lot of tools floating about and you need to be able to call that vendor as an expert in that to say, hey, we are trying to do this thing or this isn't working the right way. How do we do that? That may be an opportunity again for the open source community to contribute functionality back. And that's the kind of thing that creates these ecosystems that that grow very well. Abhishek, do you have anything to add to that or am I did I oversimplify those dynamics? No, I, th I think you've uh, you've gotten it exactly right. Uh, open source projects, they create a lot lot more value than they capture versus a traditional proprietary company. And I think that's great uh, because uh, without open source software, a lot of things that we use today would not be possible. Uh, and uh, I see AppSmith as one of those things which uh, I can see will stand the test of time and last a long time because it's open source versus if it was proprietary and only available to a few companies. One, it wouldn't be a great product because you don't have so many uh, users using it. Uh, but also second, a large part of the world would be without these tools and uh, therefore they uh, you know wouldn't be able to do more cool things that can come after a product like appsmith exists uh, so i'm really excited to uh, see what happens beyond that we already have companies which have built products on top of appsmith's open source project so that's been interesting as well isn't that a cool feeling when you've built something and then other people have taken it and then just really created something amazing on top of it? That's that's always a, a, a good feeling in, in really any context, but especially when you have a, a product that you've brought to market that way. Yeah, absolutely. So there is one corollary question that I should ask here, because like we were talking about the benefits of open source, especially as it pertains to those paying customers, which are a small percentage of the overall there's still a fear out there, and I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard this, but there's a fear out there from those enterprises or other large organizations that because it's open source, it may potentially have a higher degree of risk because it's not you know, created by and for an enterprise and it's not locked down. It has you know, open source. So does that make it more vulnerable? How do you respond to that? Uh, so... Uh, most open source project tends to be more secure than others because the code base is accessible to everybody. Uh, it just mm -hmm. gets a lot more eyes. Uh, so we get a lot of uh, security reports from our users and that wouldn't have happened if they didn't have access to the code base. So that tends to be secure. Uh, one thing that's, uh, that's right in something that you mentioned is open source project when they're first built, they're generally built for small teams and over time they evolve to serve larger companies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's rare that it starts off first with serving a larger company's need and then uh, you know, serves uh, smaller teams. 
So there are a few cases of it, but uh, most cases they start small. So that's definitely the case. And every time you're evaluating an open source project, you have to figure out if it's enterprise ready or not. Do they have all those things thought through? Do they have the right SLAs? Do they have the right security certifications? Uh, so those things matter. And uh, that's something we are uh, in the process of getting for, uh, for AppSmith. Not everything, but as much as possible. Well, and that, that kind of shows too why the pattern of cash flows in startups are what they are. They tend to be, you know, money losers for quite a while as they're building out that core capability set, delivering to an, an audience that is interested but doesn't necessarily have a lot of cash to invest themselves, but have time and can make that product better. And that's where you see the rapid growth of some of those uh, applications or frameworks that have struck a chord in that open source community get a tremendous amount of interest and usage and then the question becomes can you take that and turn that corner into a monetizable higher grade um platform that is relevant to, to larger scale businesses and, and, and that's one of those kind of critical milestones in the journey of any startup software or, or your technology type of enterprise can you make that turn to where now you can start to actually achieve some of those inflow uh from cash because you've reached a certain critical mass because nobody's nobody's going to pay a lot of money for an idea they they need yeah. something that actually works and delivers value for them exactly uh, and talking about growth of open source project uh, uh, when you introduced me uh, i know you you read the bio of appsmith where you said thousand companies use it uh, but uh, this bio was actually written four months ago, and today we have around 7,000 teams that use AppSmith uh, every month. So it's just like 7x growth in a short period. Uh, so we can see that there's a flywheel that comes when you're using an open source project. As it gets better, more people hear about it, more people use it, and uh, it just creates a larger base. And therefore, I'm very confident that uh, AppSmith can actually generate a lot of revenue from a small percentage but actually continue to support and fund this public good uh, that anybody can use and anybody can modify. Well, and that's, that's part of, uh, in my opinion anyway, the part of a lot of good businesses is that you're first thinking about what is that challenge that you're trying to solve? What is that headache that you're trying to alleviate for the broader community? And if you can solve that well, then you're well on the path to something that can also make money. I, I'm, I'm disheartened sometimes where people are like, how can I somehow manipulate the game to try to make money without actually delivering something of real value? And and that's always disheartening because there's plenty of those options, you know, those, those uh, organizations out there as well. But I think over time they, they kind of quickly show, uh, you know, what they're really made of. And, and that kind of growth, like that's one of those key indicators, right? Where you have a 7X growth over just a couple of months. Now we're, we're seeing something that, you know, people don't go and spend their time even on things that aren't valuable. So having that kind of growth in the community is a great indicator. Like, yes, you are on to something. Uh, can you give us like an example of, of s some of what your early adopters are uh, doing and like building with, the framework or, or, or putting into their organizations? Like how has it helped create change for those organizations that are these relatively early adopters? Uh, so a lot of our early adopters, uh, so one example of an early adopter is a FinTech startup that built an entire KYC workflow in AppSmith. Uh, so they, they provide loans to customers and uh, they find customers through their mobile app. Uh, mm -hmm. So customers upload their data and it goes through a KYC workflow that is built on AppSmith where multiple people review the information and then finally one person approves that uh, 
the the customer is a uh, is ready for a loan so that entire workflow has been built on appsmith so that's something that we've seen in crypto startups as well as fintech startups uh, the kyc workflows uh, the other thing that's been really common are customer support dashboards where you're extending maybe hubspot or zendesk or some other place where you're having customer conversations you're extending that through tools uh, where you're able to look at more data about a customer uh, today for example for you to talk to a customer of an e-commerce startup uh, you really need all information about uh, the delivery status the payment status you need ability to uh, change the delivery dates or maybe refund a customer uh, all the service providers that you use they might give you apis and using appsmith it's really easy to build the interface to uh, run these sort of uh, operations uh, the third thing that's uh, that's common is also like data dashboards but uh these will be data dashboards with a way to modify the data that you're uh, seeing mm. uh, traditionally dashboards are difficult to change uh, you want to change a particular chart you might have to copy it and then uh, you know access the the edit version of it versus if you have a interface which can let you just change the charts that are there or add filters of your own very easily without needing to understand a query language that's again uh, powerful and that's a very common use case in appsmith that's really interesting. I, I I can think of a few different examples in my own day job where this would be useful because, like your point, I I love APIs. I think they're great, but there's so many that you need another layer now to kind of help manage some of those flows in an even more consistent way because you may be using so many of these different APIs and the 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 challenge in these large organizations tends to be around access and authentication and also how how are we maintaining um you know, the right governance controls of things and, and some of the challenges around, you know, uh, data use and privacy and, and all of those things. It's just having a place where we can kind of control some of these things in a coherent manner across a bunch of different sources and have bi-directional data flows happening with that. Not just, hey, I'm populating a dashboard and I'm we're going to read from that. But now all of a sudden we can use that change information, have that two-way communications with underlying data sources. Obviously, it brings up other potential challenges with things like operational systems or what have you. You're not going to be able to go in and you know say, oh, I don't like this data and change the data in an operational system. There's going to be controls around that. But where it's appropriate, you certainly can have a distributed data model on the back end across different systems that need account information. And this may be, you know, if I put on my data management hat, this actually could be a really useful tool for the data managers and the data governance folks out there because we we could start to coalesce master data sets more incrementally than a pure like command and control um, master data uh, program. Um, this gives us a, a chance to kind of see things, look at patterns, make a determination, and then have the option to, to bring things back because it's it's kind of a, a programming dynamic where you can build on top of that with what your your organization needs. This is interesting stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I think you've covered really good examples. Uh, one of the most interesting things about what we've seen in our enterprise conversations has been they care a lot about who can access what, and they also mm -hmm. want a audit trail. Uh, and uh, if you are building these things on your own, it's really difficult to build like an audit trail for your own internal dashboard or your internal tool. Uh, but with AppSmith, it comes along with the framework. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, and that I think is a, uh, is a sign that 
companies want to give access to these data stores to more people. Uh, and that's the reason they're looking for all these checks and balances. Uh, and it just means more people will have access to data to get their job done, which I think is just great. Everybody will be a lot more efficient. Yeah, and it gives some flexibility for different folks, of, uh, different groups of people to use tooling that they are familiar with and, and interfaces that are custom designed for them while still sharing a common data layer underneath. I also think there may be application for um, event-driven processing dynamics or, or orchestration like larger scale data pipelines with some of the server-side stuff that you're working on. I'm thinking about, I have... Um, workloads that could you know maybe they currently run in aws but i may have idle computational horsepower on my on-premises environments that is just sunk cost why not be able to execute some of that and if i want to start bouncing in a multi-cloud strategy executing workloads dynamically across different cloud or on-premises environments the native event handling of a you know single cloud um architecture isn't exactly what I want to be able to have. I want to have something that can also work distributed and run that orchestration from any place too, because maybe it's the orchestration that I want to run in a particular country because of other you know, concerns yeah. around access or security or what have you. This just gives you extra flexibility that's agnostic to the computational and data layer and the, the physical infrastructure side that, that just put that decision process in your hands. Now, that also, and if I'm, if I'm misstating anything, let me know, but like it, it cause it also then presupposes you have at least enough technical development sophistication to know what you want to do because some other easy buttons that exist out there will just say oh just run it this way and i think that's one of the benef benefits of the cloud i made a joke the other day i'm like the cloud is really good at helping you turn things on but it's not necessarily as good helping you know what you're about to spend or how to mm -hmm. turn things off and that means there's a lot of ways to get things done, but not necessarily the operational controls or the rigor around how do you manage this um, for your your business day in and day out when there's real money, real costs involved. So I find this um, this kind of framework gives you flexibility that a you know, specific cloud native service may not. Is that is that mm -hmm. part is that one of the use cases for this framework as, as well? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So. Uh... Most of our users host AppSmith in a cloud environment. It could be AWS, Azure, but they're almost always self-hosting it. And uh, the main thing around operational costs that happens when you bring in AppSmith is, uh, number one, you can build a tool that you need really quickly because everything happens you know, 10x faster. Uh, you can also hire external consultants to come build these things out. Uh, that's something we see a lot of uh, companies doing. You just run a project for a few months and you get the tool that you need and uh, you know you don't need to spend money on engineering anymore because you have a tool that's working. Uh, so that's something that we've uh, that we've also seen. Uh, the other thing that it does, if you do have technical team members, instead of needing multiple team members uh, to help you build something like this, you just need one person who understands the uh, the data really well. That's all. If this person can write SQL queries, they can build all sorts of applications in AppSmith already. Uh, so what this means is you don't even need a proper engineer to build uh, things on AppSmith. So you can just have a smart product manager or somebody who understands SQL really well. 
Well, and especially for those small and mid-sized businesses, like they aren't going to have the deep specialists a lot of the time. They're going to have generalist technology people that may know SQL, may know Python, maybe dabble in Java or something like that. But you're you're providing a wrapper around that and these kinds of graphical tools to help them get to interfaces and just get the job done in a way that for 90% of the workloads out there, they don't have to be perfectly optimized to the the bit level to, to maintain costs. They just need to get things done relatively quickly. So that's where like frameworks have a you know small but non-zero amount of overhead or amount of inefficiencies built into them. But the, the benefit is that it allows for much more rapid development. And in being able to do that with a skill set that is more generalist versus specialist, or you're able to pull in, hey, we have something really complicated. There's only one person who knows that technical piece of it. Mm -hmm. Let them focus on just that technical piece of it. We can wrap around that with AppSmith and, and be able to just plug that in into the rest of the ecosystem without asking them, hey, build this from you know front to back because we don't have any other mechanism to plug that in. Is that Does that resonate as well? Is that a correct... Use? Yes, yes, uh, that that's absolutely uh, absolutely right. Uh, having uh, generalists being able to work on these things generally means you're able to move a lot faster. Uh, that's that's the main thing. And uh, the best engineering generalists they're just focused on getting the job done uh, and ensuring they're able to deliver value to a customer. Uh, they're not worried about how it's done, uh, and they are generally the ones who end up adopting AppSmith quite quickly. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we've seen uh, tech-first companies adopt AppSmith very early uh, versus companies which are more laggards. Uh, they've taken a little bit of time to adopt, uh, for sure. But the tech-first companies, people who already have access to a lot of engineering talent, uh, they end up seeing the value a lot because now they realize they don't need to hire so many more engineers. And that's been interesting. Versus people who are a little bit of a laggard uh, they mm. might assume these things are more complicated and therefore we need a larger engineering team and a much larger budget to achieve it. Mm. What they don't realize is the tools already exist. Uh, you'll mm. be able to get things that you thought might take a year done in about a month. Uh, and uh, that's something that has been amazing to see. You know, I've had, I've had previous episodes that we've had um, people that have like really uh, specific like low code or no code solutions that they're they're working on, and and those are, are really interesting. Would you put this in that category of low code or no code, or is this really about like encapsulating code or encapsulating that logic with whatever wrapper you need to to help facilitate that workflow management? I'm not sure I know the answer to this one. That's why I asked. Uh, so. I would put it in low code. Uh, yeah. It definitely is uh, something that helps you build things very, very rapidly while writing lesser code. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, this is low code. And uh, in the past 20 years, there's always been new, new low code frameworks that have emerged. Uh, it's just that they've been named today. Uh, if you think about it, even something like Tableau is a low code framework because it just made mm -hmm. so many things easier for us. Uh, so uh, Tableau, Looker, or Metabase, they're all low-code products. Uh, mm -hmm. And in some way, AppSmith is just a, uh, you know, the next level after they existed. In other ways, AppSmith is just a, uh, it's a historical tech trend that mm -hmm. we are sort of bringing back. Because AppSmith is very similar to Visual Basic or Delphi. Uh, mm. These were products that were very popular, you know, in late 90s and uh, early 2000s. But when the web came forward, uh, these tools stopped being relevant. 
and AppSmith can be considered as a, a visual basic, but for the web. So that's again something mm. that's that. So in a way, we are new, but in a lot of ways, we are actually just ancient. So. <laughs> Well, you've, you've struck a chord with me because I particularly uh, appreciate the role that Visual Basic played. Um, I Very early in my career, I learned to code in the workplace. I'd had computer science classes and stuff in school, but I learned to code in the workplace using Visual Basic scripts in Excel, which led to more proper Visual Basic uh, and then bigger applications and, and all that. So that resonates with me. And, and it, and it the parallel is, is clearly there where you're about that integration across this entire stack and about making things easier to connect. You're not about trying to come up with necessarily the most you know, perfect and elegant solution. You're, you have a pragmatic aspect to it and an ease of use aspect to it that you're trying to apply now in the, the world of, of web development and web programming. Um, that is a certainly a, a useful uh, construct. That is certainly a useful um, mission to have, I, I would think, because it, it's still, um, you know, it's still difficult to, to bounce between things without, um, without some, some relative pain on, on the back end. So that, that I think is, is really, really cool. I like that analogy a lot. The, the VB thing that, that resonates with me a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also learned programming on uh, VB6. So uh, I remember uh, that product really well and how accessible it made uh, building applications. Uh, I think before you actually start building something, you feel it's just gonna take you a lot longer and it's a lot tougher. But when you get into it, uh, you realize, okay, uh, this can be figured out. You follow the tutorials first and then you keep moving upwards and uh, one day you can actually build everything that you need. It, it, oh, you're bringing me back now. I, I remember having conversations with people who would tell me they're like, oh, I'm not very technical or whatever. But then I would see stuff that they built in Excel using VB uh, scripts or or even access databases or whatever. And they would not necessarily be brilliant from like an engineering perspective, but they would get an amazing amount of stuff done. And I'm like, you are very technical. You just don't realize you have a limited tool set to work with. If you expand that, your power will exponentially increase. But it's such a great avenue. And I think this is the role uh, that AppSmith is also playing is, is it's an onboarding to becoming more technical and, and becoming more savvy, especially with many organizations like we don't have the budgets for bringing in super deep technical benches. We just got to scrape together what we can in those early days and find ways where getting multiple people or more people involved in that solution making is really, really valuable. So I really appreciate, you know, thinking about this that way, because that's a that's a huge value. No wonder you're getting such growth in, in uptake with this. And hopefully by being on shows like this, um, you know, it helps you reach even more folks that are like, wow, I could really use this. And let me go experiment. Hey, this isn't as bad as I thought. And, and they're off to the races. And so that's that's really uh, fantastic. It's great to see um, you, know, you having that kind of impact with this with this uh, framework that you that you're building. Yeah, uh, I think uh, both of us seem to have a, had a similar background where we started with simplistic programs. And over time, we moved to more technical leadership positions where we might not be coding, but we understand code. And that's why it helps us do our job really well. Uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. More people, if they tried products like this, they would realize it's not that hard. Uh, it does take a little bit of time at the start, but uh, there's enough uh, help out there that's gonna get you started very quickly with AppSmith or really any other uh, similar low-code product out there. It's it's great advice. Don't be intimidated, even though we get it. Like it's it's intimidating to try something new or to learn about a new framework or a new application that you haven't seen before, but. 
if you do and just mm. dabble into it, explore a little bit, you might be surprised at how accessible these things these can really be and how much power you unlock by by really getting involved with them. So uh, I think we're going to need to leave it at that um, uh, because we're, we're just about out of time. Uh, before we go, what's the best way to, for uh, folks out there to find you? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn or you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my email is abhishek at appsmith.com. Uh, so you can also write to me there. Perfect. Abhishek, thank you so much for being on the show today. This is really interesting stuff. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was lovely chatting with you. And thank you all for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information, all the links in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 